Um, for when it comes to prayer, the 150 Psalms that we have in our Bible are your best friends. Uh, uh, almost half of them are lament psalms. And, uh, but, uh, but lament services, a lot of times, is unfamiliar to a lot of people. Uh, it can make you feel uncomfortable sometimes. And um, it's just that it's, maybe it feels uncomfortable because it's foreign. We don't know anything about it. Uh, sometimes I suspect that it makes us feel uncomfortable because of the honesty that is involved in it. Um, but we do tend to ignore lament sometimes. We um, want to jump over and just do celebration and celebration only. If you look at even the hymnals in most of our churches, uh, denominational, traditional hymnals, very few of them contain lament psalms. Uh, the contemporary worship songs that we sing, very few of them are lament songs. Um, but that uh, gives us a lopsided theology, and it gives us a lopsided view of God. So we only end up with one side of theology of celebration, and we kind of ignore that theology of suffering. And so we end up with a lopsided view of God. But it is a necessity. Uh, it is a necessity to um, be honest with God and to talk about the suffering and pain and remorse that is real. Uh, I heard one theologian call a lament service as praise, but praise in a minor key. And uh, that's pretty much how it goes. So we're going to be doing that this morning because I think it is important. It does remind us that um, God is present in our suffering, in our pain, in our remorse, just as much as he is present in our celebrations. And uh, I think we need to do this. We do this about once a year during Lent. It's become kind of a tradition at Shepherd of the Valley. And I think it's a very worthy tradition to continue on that we do this at least once a year to, to realize that yes, God is present in our joy, in our celebration, but he's also present in our suffering as well. So I'm gonna turn it over to Kendra and let you guys take over. Thank you, Tommy. Good morning, church. It's good to be with you all this morning. So you may be here wondering what is lament, and a definition of lament that I like is um, a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. And it's an expression of the human experience. And biblically, lament is not just a feeling of deep sorrow, mourning, or regret, but it's an action on the part of the believer. It's an act that requires vulnerability and humility to admit that we don't have it all together. And it's daring to call out to God in the midst of pain and anger and to ask hard questions. And it requires courage to feel the depths of one's suffering and others as well. So throughout this service, there's going to be time of silence, of scripture, prayer, singing, reflection, and communion, as Tommy said. So feel free to stand with us in song or to um, simply listen and let the words wash over you. Um, we're going to spend our first few minutes in um, reflection and silent prayer, articulating our laments. Um, feel free to use the paper um, that you were given at the, at the um, entrance um, the, of the bulletin um, so you can write down your thoughts if that's helpful to, to focus you. Um, and hold on to the smaller strips of paper that you were handed at the entrance um, as we will be using those later. Um, there may be some who are here today who are really struggling and just want a boost from church and not a downer service. But this service is for you. Um, shoving our pain and sadness under the rug um, will not help us move forward in our life or in our walk with God. Um, 
like we said earlier, it requires honesty. Um, and there may be those who are present today who feel uncomfortable, like Tommy was saying, with discovering they're at a lament service and wondering why on earth they chose to be here today of all days. <laughs> um, but it's okay to be uncomfortable, like Tommy said. In our American culture especially, we don't really know what to do with sadness. Um, we like to shove it under the rug and make it out like we're all doing fine. Um, so growth is frequently painful though, right? Um, that's where we grow. Um, and if we stay inside our safe little bubbles, we're not gonna grow all that much. So this is a time of, um, a time where I encourage you to press in um, and not shy away from the uncomfortable. Um, so take this time now of silence and reflection to express to God what is causing the hurt, pain, frustration, doubt, sadness, confusion, etc. And um, before we go into that silent time, I'm going to read a quote from um, a lady named Katie Lutzenberg. Um, it seems right that those who are aware of their failures and of evil and injustice in the world should express grief. And it demonstrates feeling, compassion, and a conviction that there is more to hope for than that which is broken and sorrowful. Mourning negates apathy toward evil. I'll read that one more time. It seems right that those who are aware of their failures and of evil and injustice in the world should express grief. It demonstrates feeling, compassion, and a conviction that there is more to hope for than that which is broken and sorrowful. Mourning negates apathy towards evil. Let's take this time to be silent and pray and reflect.
Spirit of God, pray for us, pray for us. Now and at the hour of our death, amen, amen. Now and at the
deliver me out of the sadness deliver me from all the madness deliver me to guide me deliver me your strength inside me all of my life I've been in hiding Wishing there was someone just like you Now that you're here Now that I've found you I know that you're the one to pull me through Deliver me Loving and caring Deliver me, giving and sharing. Deliver me, this cross that I'm bearing. All of my life, I've been in high. someone just like you now that you're here now that I've found you I know that you're the one to pull me through all of my life I've been trust that God is a God who hears and cares about the suffering of his people. So we're going to take this next time of scripture and song to voice our trust to our Heavenly Father.
Now um, we're going to hear from Psalm 13. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. There is strength within the sorrow. There is beauty in our tears. And you meet us in our mourning with the love that casts out fear. You are working in our waiting. Sanctifying us when beyond our understanding, you're teaching us to trust. Your plans are still to prosper, you have not forgotten us. You're with us in the fire, in the flood. Forever perfect in love, you are sovereign over us. You are wisdom unimagined. Who could understand your ways? Faithful, working for our good. 
you're working for our good for your glory even what the enemy means for evil you turn it for our good you turn it for our good for your glory even in the valley you are faithful you're working for our good you're working for our good You have not forgotten us. You're with us in the fire and the flood. Faithful forever, perfect in love. You are sovereign over us. Faithful forever, perfect in love. You are sovereign.
Psalm 63, 1. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you. In a dry and weary land where there is no water. voicing trust in God in the midst of lament, um, we move to 
petitioning God for change, asking him for change our situations, and but first and foremost to change us um, into his image. So let's go ahead and pray. Um, Father God, um, thank you for never leaving us or forsaking us. Um, you are truly a faithful God, and we are grateful. Um, we come before you asking that you would bring about a change in our hearts and in our lives as well. Um, that you would redeem and heal us. You are the ultimate healer. But not our will, but yours be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.
coolest world, the coldest heart, the deepest wound, the endless dark, the lonely ache, the burning tears, the bitter nights, the wasted years. Life breaks and falls apart, but we know these are places where grace seems soon to be.
lament is something that Christians do as individuals, but it's perhaps more more powerful, maybe most powerful, when given voice in the company of other believers. Um, As believers, we're called to worship in community and fellowship with one another as the body of Christ. Um, This includes crying out to God together in the times of trouble, not just in times of joy. Um, So while in the first reflection at the very beginning of the service, um, it may have been time for um, articulating lament over personal things, I encourage you now to use this time of reflection to express um, to God anguish over communal and worldwide troubles, um, like, for example, the war in Ukraine, um, genocide around the world, abuse, injustice, um, maybe the loss of a loved one this past year. Um, So during this time, um, feel free to use um, the paper that you were given at the entrance, um, the small um, sheets of paper um, can be used at this time for that as well. We're going to be using those later. Tommy will walk you through that later as well, but you can start notating on that if you'd like during this instrumental.
We have been uh, taking the time of the season of Lent to talk about the Trinity for the most part. Uh, and a couple of weeks before Lynn was here last week, uh, I mentioned, discussed a little bit about the, the, the Trinity being this um, eternal relationship of love that, that flows between three persons in, in one God. And uh, I tried to present the idea that for us to be genuinely human means to participate in that triune relationship, in that relationship with God that it's uh, participating in that relationship uh, gives us a, a significance of why we're here. It uh, tells us a purpose that is uh, normal than what you normally hear as, a, as the purpose of, of living. It gives us a, a peace that is beyond just the cessation of hostilities, for example. Uh, and it raises our relationships to another plane, that we come out of that hierarchy of, of competition and we, our relationships reach another plane. But we also look around and go, something went wrong. <laughs> Something's gone wrong here. And this is not the way it was supposed to be. This is not the way it was meant to be. And uh, what went wrong, what the Bible calls, is sin. That goes all the way back to our first parents. And uh, it was this rebellion. And that's, uh, sin is kind of a, an archaic word, and, and we don't really like to talk about it too much. But I can't think of really a better word that sums it up than that. And um, really what we're talking about is that it's uh, our fault, uh, that we are responsible, that we can't just uh, always claim that things are going wrong and we're the victims. We can't always complain. There's no, more, no place here for finger pointing when it comes to talking about the biblical idea of sin. And to me, it's the, it's the most adequate explanation of why we see what's going on around us and why we see our world the way it is. It seems to be the best you know, even if I wasn't a believer, it seems to be that it would be the best explanation of what's going on. And um, it's, it's kind of, it's, it explains why, uh, why I want to manipulate the system for my own good instead of for the good of all, for example. It explains why people are cruel to each other. It explains why people just dismiss other people or even shed blood over, over an idea. Uh, it, it explains why we continue to nurse these hatreds before, to, towards other people who are not like us or different or think differently than we do. Um, it's, it explains why our systems are stained, because we bring the stain with us, and the system develops the stain and then treats injustice other ways, and so it's just this vicious cycle we get into. But my point this morning is not to deal, in this little time we have here, is not to deal with sin, with not to talk about sin or explore it. It's to talk about how do we deal with it and what happens with it. And that's really what Lent is all about, is dealing with the sin. Uh, the Greek Orthodox, they call this season of Lent the season of bright sadness. And I love that phrase. I think that's exactly what this is, describes, that this is a season of bright sadness. And uh, it sounds like a, a contradiction, oxymoron, but I think when we look at it a little bit carefully, we'll realize what this means and why, why it really truly is a season of bright sadness. And I want to look at it just a couple of quick stories. Uh, well, the first story I want to look is more probably, in my opinion, to perhaps the, the saddest story in the entire New Testament, and that's the story of Judas. And even secular people around the world kind of have a vague idea of what Judas is all about, what the story of Judas is all about. 
And most of us know the story of Judas, that after Jesus celebrated Passover with his disciples, he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, and, uh, and there uh, he was praying, and, um, you know, the Bible says that Satan, you know, attacked him at this time, and, and if you look at this, his, his temptations after his baptism, the whole temptation was about, you know, what kind of Messiah was this going to be? And what kind of Messiah was he going to be? And does he really have to go through this? And Luke tells us that the, the accuser, Satan, left him at that moment for a better time. Well, I think this Garden of Gethsemane was the better time where Jesus is facing this and Satan comes back to say, you know, do you really want to go through with all this? And it's at that moment that Judas appears, of course, and, and, and betrays him. He takes 30 pieces of silver and he tells the chief priest, he says, look, you give me the 30 pieces of silver and I will go and I will lead the soldiers to the place where he will be. And then there will be people around him, a lot of people around him, and I will identify him with a kiss and they will know who to arrest. And that's what happens. And then when Judas realized that this was a sentence of execution, he went into deep despair and remorse and I'm going to read the passage out of Matthew 27. And sometimes this is a hard passage to hear, especially for people whose families may have been touched by suicide, because this is what happens. It was in the early in the morning, and all the chief priests and the elders of the people decided to put Jesus to death. They tied him up and led him away, and then they handed him over to Pilate, who was the governor. Judas, who had handed him over, saw that Jesus had been sentenced to die. He felt deep shame and sadness for what he had done. And so he returned the 30 silvers of coins to the chief priest and the elders. I have sinned, he said. I have handed over a man who is not guilty. What do we care? They replied. That's your problem. So Judas threw the money into the temple. And then he went away and he hanged himself. This tragedy is haunting it's not only haunting because of Judas' death, but it's haunting because of the failure of the chief priests. They came, he came to him seeking help, and the chief priests abdicated their primary responsibility, and that is to remove guilt from people. And their attitude and their reaction was a total lack of compassion and mercy. Some theologians think that Judas was not really planning on, well, it says that he was, he was surprised when he was sentenced to death that he wasn't really planning that. Some theologians say that they were trying to, he was trying to manipulate Jesus into being the kind of savior he wanted him to be, the, the kind of Messiah, the political warrior Messiah that he thought, Judas thought that he should be. And that makes a lot of sense because Luke says that Satan entered Judah, Judas, and if Satan's idea from the very beginning was planned was to to stop Jesus from going through with all this and being another kind of Messiah, then it makes sense that that's what Judas had in mind. But we don't know for sure. But whatever it is, when he found out that this, this kiss turned out to be a death sentence, he entered in really deep remorse and pain, shame and pain, and he realized he couldn't go on, he couldn't face his family, he couldn't face his friends, and so he kills himself. What a tragedy. I want to contrast that to the story of the Samaritan woman. Most of us know that story. And it's just kind of recently hit me that the, the, the point of this story is truth. That word is repeated over and over and over again in this story. is truth. 
You know that he goes to the well in the, in the heat of the day. Jesus is there and they enter a conversation. You know this story. And, uh, and when, he, when Jesus tells her, says, yeah, he says, go bring your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. He says, yeah, you're right. You've had five husbands and the one you're with now is not your husband. And what does he say? A lot of the translation says you speak correctly or you're right. But what it literally says is you speak truth. And what captures me about that is that Jesus wanted to reveal herself, reveal the woman to herself before he revealed himself to her. He wanted her to see herself before he was able to reveal himself to her. And then he goes on to talk about you're going to worship in spirit and truth. It's not going to have to do with geography. It's not going to be on Mount Gezerim or it's not going to be in Mount Zion. It doesn't have to do with the external geography. It has to do with the condition of the heart. Spirit and truth, he says. And I used to think that, that we worship in spirit and truth, that, that it was all about worshiping the true God and the true gospel and the true Messiah, and that is certainly part of it. But when I look at it in the context, I'm beginning to think that it has to do with facing the truth about ourselves. When she goes back to the city, she doesn't say, hey, come meet this man who offers me living water. What does she say? She says, come meet the man who told everything about me. He was able to see right through me. He knows me. And he offers me forgiveness and mercy. Amen. In truth. And I just wonder if Judas' story would have ended differently if he had gone to Jesus to seek mercy and not the priest. That he had gone to Jesus to seek forgiveness and not a group of men who were more worried about their political privilege and their religious power. If he had gone to Jesus, I wonder if his story would have been differently. Because there he receives mercy and forgiveness. That's why this is the season of bright sadness. Because we deal with who we are and we deal with who God is. And those two things together is a bright sadness. The season of bright sadness I just want to mention three things quickly of what the season of bright sadness does before we take communion. The season of bright sadness, first of all, opens us up to the burdens of other people. That's one of the things that the service of lament does. And the season of Lent and the service of lament does is it opens us up to the burdens of other people, people that we don't see what's going on behind the scenes. I can't imagine, you know, the burdens that people are going through in Ukraine. And, and imagine the suffering they're going through. And I think, boy, what would, how would I handle it if they were bombing our hospital, which is just a block from my house? And I think about that. But then I also think about it raises to the surface the, the suffering that's going on among us that we don't even know that's behind the scenes. People dealing with, with, with adolescents that they can't get to, uh, with illnesses, with death in their families, with divorce, with broken relationships, all these suffering that's going through this, this lament service and the season of lament brings those things to the surface. We had this great devotion yesterday at men's breakfast. And Bob talked about his years of, 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 um, of education. And he brings this, his experience of the times that he was realizing that, that there's so many broken kids in our school system and broken families that they represent that we don't even see, but he had a chance to see that we just don't 
we, we don't really capture very well. And that's one thing this, this, this season of, of bright sadness does. It brings those burdens up to the surface and we can pray for them. And people are praying for us and we don't even know it. And I'm just going to assume that the reason you're here and the reason you're watching at home is because we are part of the body of Christ. And the reason you are here is that these burdens have come up and you have decided to place your hope in Christ. I'm going to assume that. That you wouldn't be here if you had not made the decision to place your hope in Christ. And we take communion and we share those burdens with one another. We, we shoulder those burdens, Paul says. We carry each other's burdens. And that is part of the sadness in the, in the communion we're taking. But at the same time, we look forward to a day when we will have communion together in a place that there's no sorrow and no mourning. It is a season of bright sadness. It is a season of bright sadness because it reminds us that we have fallen short. That we're not the people we should be. We're not the people we want to be. And when that starts to sink in, in reality, it creates a deep sorrow, a deep, deep sadness. And when I think of my own, look at myself in the mirror, and I think of my own exile, and the deep sadness that comes through that exile, and I look at my own exile, and I look at the, the wasted moments and the wasted years that I have had in my life, and it, it, it really depresses me. It brings in a deep sadness that I have not done and not been the person, the father, the husband, the preacher that I want to be. And it brings a deep sadness to me. But the brightness is that in that sadness is God's presence and forgiveness. That's the brightness. And when that comes, it, it, it recovers a desire I have for God. It, it, it re resurrects my longing for Him again. That, that regret and remorse is actually permeated, permeated by God's presence. That regret and remorse is part of the Lent season. That's why it's so different than Advent. Advent's all about parties and Christmas and stuff, but Lent is very different. It is a season of bright sadness. But in that, we have this longing for God. In those regrets, in those remorse, we have the presence of God who brings his forgiveness, and we have that bright longing, that peace that comes from finding home. And it comes with that brightness of, of going home and having the Father embrace each one of us as his prodigal children. So yes, it is sad. And it sinks in and it gives me a deep sorrow. But in the midst of that deep sorrow is the presence of God and his forgiveness. The season, the season of bright sadness reveals the burden of others. It, it, it reminds us that we have fallen short, but it also brings about a mysterious transformation within us. It, it brings about when this freedom, when we finally give up this terrible self-centeredness that, that just consumes us, it brings this lightness. And this sadness that's in, in Lent has this bright spot 
in the middle of all this. And, and we take of all the noise that's going on in our heads, the, the afflictions, the, the accusations, the lies, the, the, just the, the attacks that goes on in our heads. We realize in the midst of this Lent season, in the midst of this season of bright sadness, that we realize that, you know what? They have no access to my soul anymore. They have no power anymore. Those voices, they're fragile. The stability, it's God's wisdom. And God's wisdom tells us, God's wisdom says that if I still see evil in the world, it's because there's a lot of it still hidden in my heart. And I have to come to terms with that. But the wisdom of God also says that if I'm willing to shed tears and I'm willing to lament this and I'm willing to recognize who I am and who God is, then there is a hope of resurrection. There's a hope of resurrection life that I can live right now and on into eternity. That if I recognize and shed the tears and lament who I really am and I can know who God really is, it is a bright sadness. Dr. Yeski, he says that when we do this, it's like our soul touches another world. Another world made up of light and peace and trust. And that's what it feels like. We are going to celebrate communion. And when we do that, we are celebrating with joy in a minor key. That's what the lament service is all about. So what I'm going to do, where we're, we're going to do it, I need to give you some instructions. Is I, I will say, I'm going to offer up a prayer on behalf of all of us, a prayer of forgiveness. And <clears throat> the way we will do it is that those pieces of paper that you were writing on, we're going to ask you to come and drop them in these buckets of water, and you will see them symbolically dissolve into the mercy of Christ. So I will invite you to come and drop those in the bucket and you'll see it dissolve within Christ's forgiveness. And then you'll take communion. Here, Gary and I, Gary Wells and I will be up front and we'll ask you to take a piece of bread and a cup and return to your seat. We won't be taking it at the same time. You just take it whenever you feel ready to take it. You spend some time in quiet with God. You spend some time in gratitude. You spend some time in confession and then take communion when you feel ready. So you'll take the element and take it back to your seat and take the elements when you're ready. Just to, want to, just to let you know, the bread is gluten-free and also there is these, the uh, sealed kits that are sealed with the wafer and the cup if you prefer that. So you can either take the bread and the cup or you can take either the sealed little cups, the two-in-one kind of kits there and go back to your seat. So we're going to spend some time. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to ask Gary if he'll come up and help me. Uh, we'll stand right over here, and you can come and receive the elements, and uh, we will also have some music. So let's, uh, let me pray, and then I'll invite you to the table. Holy God, we want to see you, so speak to me now about my relationships with you. 
Speak to me about any relationship which is broken or unhealthy, in conflict. Father, I am sorry for the attitudes within me that has caused unnecessary pain to other people. Jesus, you are the cleanser of temples and you are the cleanser of souls. And so at this midpoint in the Lenten journey, Father, we ask that you look deep into our hearts and into our lives and clear away all that holds us back. May our minds and spirits and bodies be a temple that is open to your presence. May our words and our actions be transparent to your love and truth. Father, we pray for this church community to be purified in its life and its mission so that all we do in and from here may reveal your gospel to others. So in a moment of silence, we sit before you and we name those things for which we seek, your cleansing and healing, so that we may be more faithful disciples. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.
by partaking in communion, we're recognizing our brokenness and our need for Christ's redemptive work in our lives. Um, despite what we may feel, we're going to um, make a choice to offer praise back to God at this time. So would you all stand with us? We're going to close with a couple of songs to end in praise. Saw my ashes, saw your dream. I saw an orphan, you were my family. I saw my frailty, you saw your might. I saw my blindness, you were the light. You give me promise and praise, and joy. And mercy new every morning. Promise of praise, fullness of joy. And mercy new every morning. I saw the water, I saw the wine, I saw dead branches. Were the vine. I saw my weakness, and you saw your blood. I saw my failure, but you were enough. You give me garments of praise, fullness of joy, unending mercy, new every morning. Garments of praise. And in mercy, new every morning. As I was lost, till you called me out by name. And I was down, till you picked me up again. And I was wrong, till your love made me right. And I was dead. Sing me back to life. I was lost until you called me out by name, Father. I was down until you picked me up again. Oh, I was wrong till your love made me right. And I was dead until you sang me back to life. You give me garments of praise. Unending mercy, new every morning. Garments of praise, fullness of joy. Unending mercy, new every morning. Fullness of joy, unending mercy. Unending mercy, new every morning. Amen. One, two, three.
going to sing one more song. Blessed be your name. One, two, three, four. Blessed be your name in the land that is plentiful, where streams of abundance flow. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name when found in the desert place, by walking through the wilderness. Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will sing. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your glorious name. down on me the world's all as it should be blessed be your name blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering on the pain and the offering blessed be your name every blessing you Pour out, I'll turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will sing. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your glorious name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your glorious name. You give and take away. You give and take away. My heart will choose to say. Lord, blessed be your name. You give and take away. You give and take away. My heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your glorious name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your glorious name.
Isaiah 30 says that in repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. Gracious Lord, we receive your forgiveness this morning. We ask that you bring reconciliation and healing and peace to our lives. Holding any particular sadness before you, Lord, we simply sigh and we cast our cares for the coming week upon you. And now we consciously and receive the peace that you offer that transcends all understanding. In the name of Jesus, amen. Go in peace.